0: This podcast from Jubilee Church Darby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Adam and Anna are off to Toulouse for 18 months. Dave and Pam are off to Malta for three months, two months. And uh, so we'll be praying for you guys as well as you uh, head out there for a little season. I'm feeling the need to make some pastoral visits. <laughs> I, I think it, uh, somebody has to go, you know, just someone is going to have to go to Toulouse. It's just, somebody is. And, and, and Malta, I think, I think too. I mean, it's just, you know... Just so someone has to do it, don't they? So maybe we'll get to get to come and see you guys. We we, we shall uh, we shall see, uh, but we'll be praying for, for, for all of you as you're uh, abroad in these in these seasons. Well, welcome back. It's good to be here, isn't it? I'm just going to move this slightly because I can't see over the top of this because I'm clearly shorter than I think I am. There we are. You have to put that back up again, Caroline. Sorry about that. Well, it's great to be back. Uh, we had a couple of weeks off for Christmas and New Year. Christmas seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? At least it, it does in our house. The Christmas tree, our Christmas tree was up for probably longer than I've ever known it up in our married life after Christmas. Probably because we put it up you know, early, which we like to do that. And by the time Christmas comes, almost on Christmas Day afternoon, the box is out and, you know, ball balls are starting to come off. But actually, was it was it January? It made it, it, made it to January this time. Like, that has never been seen in our house before. The Christmas tree made it to January. So we shall have to see what happens <laughs> uh, this time, this time uh, around in a few months' time when we go to Christmas this year. But before that, there's lots happening this year. Very exciting year for us both here in Derby and in Burton and as Matt was saying we're looking forward to this week of prayer and fasting and seeing what God has for us so I do want to encourage you to to be at whatever meetings you are able to this week as we pray and fast and, and seek God's Together. And this morning we're going to get back into our series uh, in 1 Corinthians. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. And uh, just looking at how this is going to work out over the next few weeks, uh, I'm expecting this will take us through the other side of Easter and probably finish around about the end of April. Uh, And if it goes well, we might even hit the resurrection passages in 1 Corinthians around Easter time. Almost like it was planned. You never know. So, 1 Corinthians 7 is where we've got to uh, this morning. (coughs) And uh, we're going to read it in a moment together. And uh, then pray and then ask God to help us as we spend some moments looking at it together. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry... But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if an unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or, How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he was a free man when he was called, is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. Now, about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting on in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happy if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Long passage, long and complex chapter, so let's pray together before we look at it. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us. God, we thank you that you spoke to us as we worshipped you, reminding us of who you are and indeed who we are in you. And Lord God, now as we spend these moments looking at this passage together and seeking to understand what you might be saying to us, we pray that you'd give us wisdom to understand what is written in your word, give us the grace to uh, accept it in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Would your word come alive to us now? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've called this message, Living a Holy Life. Living a Holy Life. I was discussing this passage with a good friend this week, and he used that phrase when describing the chapter. I thought, hey, that makes a great title. Makes a really good title, Living a Holy Life. You see, we can read a passage like this and very quickly get sucked into detail and miss the big picture that Paul wants us to see about the way we live our life to the Lord. He wants to encourage the Corinthians and therefore encourage us as well to lead holy lives that honour God in every area of life. And he wants us too to have an eternal perspective on things. Do you note that as we read through the passage? He wants us to see the big picture. He wants us to see things in the light of eternity, not just the temporal you see, the time is short, and the world in its present form is indeed passing away, Paul says in verse 31. So he wants us to see things as God would see them, see things with an internal perspective, and live our life in light of that. So, so, what does Paul have to say to us? What is he trying to communicate? Well, the first question that comes up is is it better to marry or not to marry? That's the subject that he. He looks at. And both in the beginning of this section and later in the chapter, Paul talks about whether it is right for a Christian to marry or not. And it's clear, if you've got your Bible open to it in front of you, it's clear that Paul is responding to a question that has been asked of him. So verse 1, now for the matters you wrote about, to say, hey, you asked about this, so I'm going to give you some answers. So Paul is responding to a question that the Corinthians have asked on him. And remember as well that Paul is not writing in a vacuum here. He's writing to a particular local church. He's writing to the church in Corinth. Remember, Corinth is a city known for its sexual immorality. And they were seeing people saved into the church who had all sorts of sexual history. And uh, they were seeing people come to Christ who had all sorts of questions about how they should now live in the light of their newfound faith in Jesus. And it's this situation that Paul is writing into. But friends, you know what? Our situation isn't that much different. Actually, 21st century Western life is very similar in many ways to how things were for the Corinthians. So Paul says in verse 1, it's good for a man not to marry. And he says a bit later that it's the same for a woman as well. But then he also says it's good for a man to get married, and the same for a woman. So you think, Paul, what are you on about here? You seem to be saying two things. So what's he saying? Well, I think Paul's instruction could be summarised for us like this. Whether you are married or single, whatever your state, Paul's instruction overall could be summarised like this. The grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is not greener on the other side. You see, clearly there are some who thought that getting married was better. And there are others that thought being single was better. And what Paul does, he lists advantages and disadvantages to both states, but then reminds the Corinthians and would remind us this morning that neither is better, but both are different. And being both married or single, both are gifts from God. Whether you're single or married, both is a gift from God. And the danger for them, and indeed the danger for us, is we can look at others and go, I've got it so easy. It's so much better for them. It's so much easier for them. It's so much more straightforward for them. And actually, the truth is, the grass is not greener on the other side. Whether you're single or married, there are benefits to that. There are also challenges that come to that. But both are a gift from God. And so he's reminding the Corinthians, and indeed us, don't look at others and go, isn't it better for them? Isn't it easier for them? Isn't it more whatever for them? But rather, see what God wants for you. See, both being married and single have different blessings. And what Paul is saying is, don't feel that you need to change that state just because you have come to Christ. Actually, better that you remain in the state that you're in. So one, so in verse 20, Paul says, each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So don't think you've got to change it. And he says a little bit later in verse, in verse 26, he says, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you, if you do marry, you've not sinned. So you haven't got to change the situation that you are in since becoming a Christian. So Paul wants to affirm those who are married and he also wants to affirm those who are single. Both are gifts from God and in the church we need to encourage both. Actually, I think think we're often very good at encouraging marriages. Sarah and I are speaking at a a marriage day next weekend. And I think we're good at encouraging marriages. I think we probably need to get better at encouraging those who are single and say, God has got something unique for you as a single person. And we perhaps need to get, get better at doing that and encouraging those amongst us who have that gift from God. Both are gifts, and both are good. He says to the Corinthians, "If you are a slave when you are called, don't let it trouble you, but if you can get free, then that's good. If you are a free man or woman, then become a slave. Don't get sucked into that. If you are married, then don't seek a divorce. remain married. You don't need to divorce your husband or wife, or husband or wife, to live a holy life. It seems that that's what the Corinthians were on about, that they were saying, oh, well, to to live a life that's holy to God, you know, I I need to get divorced. No, Paul says you don't need to do that. You can live a life that is holy and pleasing and honourable to God whilst you're married. But if you're single, you can remain single. That's okay. So, Paul says to those who are married, he says, firstly, that your body doesn't just belong to you. It's not just yours. You've made some promises to your spouse, to your husband or wife. And your body now belongs to them as well. So you've agreed to give yourselves, give yourself to one another. You made that promise in the marriage ceremony. And so that includes your sexual relationship, which should be exclusively with your marriage partner. But should not be withheld from them unless he says by mutual agreement, mutual consent, and that for a time, in order that you might devote yourself to prayer and then you come back together again. That's what he's speaking into. Just to be clear, I don't think that Paul is saying that you can demand as much sex as you want. He's not saying that. <laughs> but what he is saying. Remember, he's speaking to a situation where maybe the Corinthians thought, oh, I need to be somehow separate in order to be holy to God. No, no, Sex is a gift from God for marriage. Enjoy it. Give yourselves to one another in marriage. Don't not do that unless it's for a season in order that you can devote yourselves to prayer and then come back together. What Paul is saying is that you have a marital duty to one another. And that's important. It's part of your marriage relationship. So he's instructing those who are married to remain married. Clearly, as we've said, there are some who thought that it would be better if they separated, and Paul is speaking into that. But Paul also speaks of the situation that if you're married to somebody who isn't a believer yet, and what about if, you get, if you're married and one of you becomes a Christian, what should you do then? Paul is speaking very practically into these situations. And he makes it very clear. If you're married to an unbeliever, and you become a Christ, one of you becomes a Christian, and they want to remain with you, great! That's a good thing. That's certainly the ideal. And the hope is that by your example, your life with Christ, they will see that in you, and come to faith themselves. Now Paul does say, if they won't remain with you, since you became a Christian, and they leave then you're not bound to them. So Paul's very practical here, isn't he? He's making some (coughs) statements that apply to everyday practical life. He says this, live in peace. Seek to live in peace, verse 15. That's what Paul is trying to encourage here. You see, marriage is a creation ordinance. Right at the beginning of time, God gave marriage to men and women. Marriage is a covenant. It's even more than a promise. It's a covenant relationship Under God, in him. Malachi says this in Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. He says, So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. Guard yourselves and be faithful. That's what he's saying. Be faithful to your spouse. Submit to one another, enjoy sex as God's gift and live a holy life. Guard yourself in your spirit and be faithful to one another. And to those who are unmarried, Paul's encouragement is to stay unmarried. So that's okay, that's good. You can devote yourselves to the Lord and his work. But you know what? If you want to get married, that's fine too. He says it's better to get married, better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 9. And remember, the grass is not greener on the other side. That's the overarching summary, you might say, of much of what Paul is saying. So clearly, clearly he wants um, married couples to to stay together. That's his uh, encouragement here. That's what he's talking about. And where a relationship has broken down, Paul is encouraging wherever possible reconciliation. And clearly that is consistent then with the rest of Scripture, isn't it? We're not looking at something in isolation here, we're looking at it in a broad brushstroke in terms of the whole of Scripture. God is for marriage, not divorce. Now, by the time of Jesus, Jewish law had evolved to such a state where a man could easily divorce his wife for any reason. Or no reason, in fact. In fact, the Talmud specifically states that a man can divorce a woman because she spoiled his dinner. Or simply because he finds another woman more attractive. And a woman's consent to that divorce is not required. So that's by the time of Jesus. That's where Jewish law had got to. So Paul is writing into this sort of culture. Well, it's, it's easy, you know, you gave me a bad dinner, you, you burnt the potatoes, that's it, I'm divorcing you. And you could do that. That's crazy, Paul said, no, 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 that's not right. Well, if you found somebody, a man found another one more attractive, he could divorce it, no, no, no. Paul is writing into this sort of context and wants to encourage, support and promote faithful marriage. So if God is for marriage and not divorce, what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, we could spend a long time looking at every passage and we don't have time to do that this morning. We can't get into every minutiae and detail. But just to say Jesus says some some things about this subject, Matthew 5, Matthew 19 as well. And again, Jesus is countering this Jewish practice of easy divorce wife, you burnt the dinner, that's it, it's over. Now, Jesus is speaking into that sort of situation as well. And what Jesus says is that the only allowable reason for divorce is marital unfaithfulness. Now, in, in our culture, we typically describe that as adultery. But the Greek word used here is porneia. And the NIV translates that as marital unfaithfulness. And most commentators would say that's a much wider definition than the definition of adultery. It covers more things. Adultery is perhaps easy to define. The Oxford English Dictionary says it's voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Pornia would typically include a much wider definition of unfaithfulness, of sexual immorality. But exactly how you define that and what you put in that category is much harder. And that's where it gets complicated. So I think the thing to say in a sermon such as this, so we don't have time to look at every passage, is that in summary, God is for marriage. God is for faithful marriage and doesn't like divorce. In fact, the next verse from the verse he read in Malachi says that God hates divorce. But where there has been marital unfaithfulness, divorce is allowable. But even then, it isn't inevitable. What about repentance and forgiveness? Actually, the Bible would encourage that. So even though divorce is allowable, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be automatic. But actually, God will want to encourage repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and new start. You see, even when it comes to this particular area of sin, we're still encouraged to love and to forgive. Ephesians 4:32: "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." you see, I recognize that speaking out this subject, for many of you will touch nerves. They may be personal ones, they may be those in your family or, or friends. I see it's just a little bit raw. I understand that. And uh, God wants you to know his love and His grace in all of it this morning it's right that we look at what the Bible says so that we understand what God would say to us and what scripture teaches us. Paul is clear that where an unbelieving spouse decides to desert a believing spouse, again, divorce is allowable. But for anything else, when we're trying to think, okay, what do you put in that category of marital unfaithfulness? What does that mean? How do you interpret that? Well, for that, as elders, we would seek to interpret Scripture in a loving and pastoral way, in a way that upholds marriage and the covenant of it, but also recognising that for whatever reason, sometimes things don't work out as planned. Sometimes things don't go as we hope for, and sometimes reconciliation, even when it's tried for, isn't possible and doesn't work out. So let me say this, that just because someone has gone through the pain of divorce doesn't mean that they should then go through the pain of the church ostracising them. We need to be really good at loving people, really good at embracing people. Even those who are walking through these sort of challenges currently Let's be really good at loving people because it's painful, isn't it? What they don't need is the pain of the church judging them or ostracising them. We want to show love and grace and tender-hearted mercy whilst at the same time trying to encourage wherever possible reconciliation if indeed that is still possible. Let's love one another. If you are looking for an easy one, two, three guide, (laughs) this is not that (laughs) preach. But what it is, is let's make sure we're loving one another, trying to stay true to scripture and what God has said, but at the same time understanding the challenges of life. Lots of people with brains far larger than mine have written volumes on this subject. (laughs) And different churches do interpret Scripture different ways. And I think, well, there are some things that are very, very clear. We can say, yes, the Bible teaches that very, very clearly. Other times we have to sit and go, we need to hear God on this. We need to pray and see what the right way forward is. And in the light of what God's made really clear, then put ourselves in a position to say, God, what are you saying right now? How do we apply this truth and love and grace and mercy all at the same time? And that's a challenge. But I want us to make sure we embrace that challenge and particularly embrace those who are walking through perhaps some of that, that pain. Now, before we finish up, let me make some comments about what Paul says about uh, sanctifying an unbelieving spouse or children, because that's an interesting passage as well, isn't it? To be clear, Paul is not saying that being married to a Christian makes you a Christian. Now, that, that will be totally contrary to the rest of Scripture. So, he's not saying that. Similarly, he's not saying that just because you have believing parents, that makes you a Christian. Again, that will be contrary to the rest of scripture but what he is doing is countering again the wrong thinking of the corinthians they were thinking oh i'm i'm married perhaps i've got saved now i'm married to an unbeliever that somehow defiles me makes me unholy or unclean in god's sight paul is saying no in fact quite the opposite quite the reverse for someone to be married to a Christian who's themselves not yet a believer gives them the opportunity to see God's love and mercy and grace right up close in everyday life. It doesn't make the believer unclean or unholy. Actually, it gives the unbelieving partner an opportunity to see something of God's mercy and his love and his grace. So Paul is seeking to allay the fears that the Corinthians had, that a marriage of a believer and unbeliever somehow makes them unclean or separate from God. Paul is saying no to that. He's speaking to those who are already married. Elsewhere, uh, and again in this passage as well, Paul makes it clear that those who are single and looking to get married should, should marry a believer. That's clear in scripture as well. Remember the principle is to live a holy life. A life that honours God. Not looking at others saying, oh, it's easier for them, the grass is not greener on the other side. But whatever state you're in, be it married or single, being walking through these sort of challenges we've talked about, seek to live a life that honours God. In whatever situation you're in. This passage, regardless of what situation you might be in this morning, has something for all of us. Whether you're married, single, divorced, separated, Paul has some instruction for us this morning. Firstly this, don't envy other people's position in life. They've got all sorts of challenges that you know nothing about. And you've got all sorts of blessings and opportunities that they know nothing about as well. So don't envy someone else's position in life. Remain as you were when you were called, and live a holy life, being aware that the time is short before Jesus returns and God's kingdom comes in all its fullness. And for us as a church, I want to say something to us as a church this morning, when people are saved out of challenging and chaotic backgrounds, and they will be, let's respond with much love and grace. Let's respond with arms that are open saying, hey, let me embrace you and help you walk with Jesus. And maybe unpick some circumstances (laughs) and unpick some situations that seek to find the right way forward for them in Christ. But let's do it with an attitude of love and grace and mercy. Is that okay? Make sure we do that. People's lives are not always straightforward. Your life might not be that straightforward. So when we talk about the importance of loving those who don't know Jesus yet, when Ray talks about, saying, hey, we're going to go out on the streets and talk about God's love and his mercy to the people next weekend. As people come into our church community, let's help them to take steps in following Jesus. Let's love them as they do it. Let's make sure we're showing a whole lot of love and grace, not judgment and condemnation. What did Jesus do when the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? John chapter 8 tells us exactly what he did. Remember, these are people who were trying to uphold the law. That was their big thing, the law. You've got to be obedient to the law. And so they catch this woman, drag her to Jesus, and say, Right, what are you going to do, Jesus? And they're looking to trick him. But they don't want to uphold the law. So what, what they say, so Jesus, what are you going to do? They've missed the point. Totally missed the point. All they were interested in was upholding the law. They hadn't got any compassion for this woman who was caught in sin. They wanted her stoned right at that moment. What does Jesus say? John chapter 8, verse 7. Jesus says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he waits. And if you know the passage, you know that slowly the crowd dissipates until it's just this woman and Jesus left. And Jesus goes on, woman, well, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. From now on, go and sin no more. So there is a call to holiness, there is a call to repentance and change of life, but there isn't condemnation. There's love, and there's mercy, and there's grace. And my prayer is that that will be true for us as well. And so as I finish, if this morning maybe you're the one who feels caught in a sin, maybe you're the one who is seemingly close to God on the outside, but on the inside, far from him, then this morning there's grace available for you. He calls you back home. And as I was thinking and praying this week about this passage, I just thought God speaks about a couple of other things as well. And it's this, if you're married this morning, but maybe it's been tough going, and in your darker moments you thought, I just want out of this. You've been contemplating divorce, thinking, I just can't do this anymore. I want out. Maybe nobody even knows that you've thought about that. I feel God wants to come to you this morning and give you fresh hope and fresh faith that God can work things out for you. We'd love to pray with you. And indeed, there are others who could encourage you and help you on that journey as well. And finally, as the band, if you guys could come back up to see Caroline, please. If all this is just a little bit too close to home, I realise for some of you it may be. If even at the moment you're walking through some of this pain or maybe somebody close to you is, then again we'd love to pray for you as well. would love to pray that you would know God's grace, his love, his mercy and indeed his wisdom as you seek to work things out and live a life that honours him even in the midst of circumstances that might be challenging and unexpected. I believe God's grace is available this morning and he would want you to know freshly his love for you and his mercy and his grace for your life. So can we stand together? <coughs> Let's pray. In a moment we're going to sing together, we're going to worship the Lord. Caroline, is he going to lead us in that? And if you'd like to receive prayer this morning for any of those things, I'd like to invite you to come down to the front and there'll be others who will quickly come to gather around you and uh, and to pray with you. But also as well, if you're sick this morning, then we'd love to pray for you as well. (coughs) Have a God who loves to heal. And if you're sick this morning, we'd love to pray with you and for you uh, as well. So there's a couple of things that you might want to respond to. Uh, You can do that in a moment as we sing. So let's pray together. (coughs) Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness, for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, as we've spent time looking at a a difficult passage, Lord, I want to pray firstly uh, for any who... Uh, it's just brought some pain up, be it distance or current. Lord, I, I pray that your grace this morning would be very sufficient. I pray that your mercy would be all-encompassing and your love all-surrounding. And Lord, I pray for any who are struggling in marriage right now. I pray, Father, for your grace and your strength. Lord, I pray that you would break in and uh, bring fresh hope. Uh, And Lord, for any whose uh, circumstances are currently challenging, difficult, not what they imagined, uh, Lord, again we pray for your grace uh, and your sufficiency to see a way forward. Lord, thank you that you don't bring condemnation. Thank you that you call us to live in a way that honours you and you give us all that we need to do just that. We want to say this one, and we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and we'll come along on any Sunday. Night.